0: speaker this morning will be Dr. J. Sharma. She is a local physician who didn't really want to be a doctor. She was born in Alexandria, Louisiana to two parents who had immigrated from India in the 1970s. She attended Louisiana College with degrees in biology and English and moved to Shreveport in 2002 to attend LSU Medical School. She graduated a family medicine residency in 2009 and now works as a hospitalist at Shumpert Highland. Peppered in between learning to be a doctor and being one has been the pursuit of her passions, writing, speaking, acting, and more recently, activism. She has a wonderful husband, Jacob, whose maiden name was McGarry, and together they created a new name, McShawn. They have the best two cats in the world, Rose and Ed, and she is a writer for Heliopolis and SB Magazine and has a featured podcast with all y'all. Most importantly, she says she has danced on stage with both Davy Jones and Mickey Dolenz <laughs> from The Monkees. <laughs> Would you help me in welcoming Dr. J and his son?
1: and this is the first time that I've set foot in this place. I think I was speaking with Melissa before, and that makes me a bad liberal for never coming here because you guys are about everything I'm about, which is accepting everyone, and you open the service with Carly Simon, and you have a reverend who plays guitar and drums, and she's so cool. Her glasses don't even need, like, things to hold on to. They just stay on the face. It's like, what? It's magic. So uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'll try not to take up too much of your time, but I tend to get excited and blah, you know start talking. Um, part of that introduction really made me laugh because I, I did attend Louisiana College in Pineville, Louisiana, which is a Baptist school, if you don't know it, uh, and met the most wonderful people there. I mean, the most amazing professors, with whom I'm still friends and, and amazing uh, co- colleagues and classmates. But there were several very fundamentalist Baptists Um, Christians who did not appreciate my existence or my point of view. And I'm just thinking like, oh, if they could see me now, I'm like in a church. (laughs) Talking to a congregation. They would just be like, you have a Hindu behind the pulpit? They would just be like classic Unitarians. I mean, come on. it just makes me laugh. So, um, all right, I'll get to my prepared comments. Uh, So I have severe anxiety. Um, just about anything can trigger a paralyzing existential crisis for me. Uh, for example, when your very lovely reverend asked me to speak today, she requested a biography from me for an introduction. And quick side note, my husband always accuses me of loving my cats more than I love him. And uh, Barbara emailed me back this morning and said, Jay, thank you so much for the information. Uh, you told me your cat's name, but not your husband. <laughs> 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 oh! <laughs> down to write it last night at the very last minute of course I, I went into existential crisis mode uh, but I've gotten so good at them that they're very expedient so it not the whole thing only took about seven minutes <laughs> um, so I was thinking okay who am I am I a doctor is that enough for everybody am I Indian am I a wife am I a writer a would-be actress am I a vlogger who doesn't like saying the word vlogger because I think it's really weird for a V and an L to just be together like that. Uh, What is the point of me? Why am I the way I am? Uh, By the way, spoiler alert, I don't really have the answer to this question, but that's why my therapist makes the big bucks. Claudia, She's the best! (laughs) Um, But why? Why do I have this anxiety? What is the worst thing that could happen to me up here while I'm speaking to you guys? I could walk up here and no words come out. I could get hashtag speaking from the pulpit, IBS, and just vomit on stage. I could make some jokes and nobody laughs or smiles, which actually would be the worst thing, so please keep laughing and smiling. That would be the worst thing. Um, But most of those would still be a good story. I wouldn't have ruined any of your lives. You'd be fine. You'd get to go home and say, I saw this really spazzed out Indian doctor at church today, and she just spewed on stage. It was the (laughs) darnest thing. We'll be fine. But it's that word it's I, it's me, it's you versus me. It's what distinguishes me from you the ego. It's the wall that brain and society have put up to separate us. Societal upbringing has built it to separate us. So at some point, society told your brain, I'm going to build a wall and I'm going to make you pay for it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I was really proud of that. So I was, I was born Hindu, and it's a beautiful religion with which I still very much identify, um, except for I eat steak, so I'm a bad Hindu. <laughs> um, but I was never told that you know this is the only way to know God. It's just our way, which is something I know that y'all identify with here. Um, the culture and the traditions, they're very beautiful. They're home for me. A practice our family has adopted in recent years has been the Art of Living courses, which are breathing exercises and meditation programs that fit right in with what y'all are doing here. And I would so love for everyone in this room to take the next meditation course, which is in June. So if you're interested, Barbara has my contact information. You guys would love it. Um, So during one of the exercises, you get up and you stand in front of a group and you look into everyone's eyes one by one. I like this. And it can be very difficult the body can resist the heart rate definitely speeds up your mouth gets dry it's not something that you naturally will want to do uh, you might get hashtag staring into someone's eyes IBS. so I want us all to try it uh, I want you to pair up if you're in an odd man out on a pew, just try to find someone I'm serious everyone kind of pick a partner okay we're gonna try this together <laughs> Turn to a person next to you. Yeah, crowd participation its super fun. <laughs> okay, so you turn to the next person next to you, and you're going to look into their eyes for a full minute, okay? And I want you to try not to make it about yourself. Try to make it about the other person. Uh, We can go ahead, you can hold hands if you like, you don't have to, Um, and go ahead and start. I'm starting the timer. I'll talk you through it while you're doing it, but do not break eye contact. You can blink. I want you to look into their eyes as an impartial observer. I want you to think about what you're seeing. You might be thinking, this is super weird,
0: I really don't want to do this, is the minute up
1: yet? But try to focus on them. What do you see in their eyes? Is there judgment? Is there separation? Again, try to make it not about yourself, but about what the other person might be feeling and experiencing. In the program, they say, try to look with the innocence of a child, looking at the world or a person for the very first time. Can you accept this person just as they are? Believe it or not, it's been a minute. (laughs) Good job! (laughs) Two of y'all don't get to do it, I'll find you afterwards. (laughs) So, um, how was that? Was that weird? Little? When I did it the first time, I never know which eye to look in. I'm like, right eye? Um, Or do you feel a little bit more connected? If you don't, it just means that we have to do it longer, or maybe uh, with some wine next time. (laughs) tends to make it easier. Um, But all of this does have a point. Once we remove the things that promote separation, or at least minimize their noise, we instantly start to feel more connected. Once we are connected, something like activism just starts to naturally course through your bloodstream. Once we see injustice to someone, whether it's based on race or sex or LGBT, we instantly feel two things. Number one, that this prejudice is definitely based in ignorance because of a need to feel separated and superior. And number two, the only way to cure it is to promote the knowledge that we are all connected. So that when something happens to a woman, or a Muslim, or a Jew, or a refugee, we realize wherever it's happening in the world, it's happening to us here. Once you truly feel that, the responsibility is just impossible to ignore. This can also be very exhausting. I mean, right now there's like just a barrage of just doo-doo, just raining down on us every morning when we open up Facebook or media, the news, it seems like very overwhelming because when you care about one thing, you start to care about them all. But you do have to take care of the vessel that you've been given. So just remember that self-care is very important. And like she said in one of her um, readings, that you can directly affect the people around you, and that's the most important So, why am I the way I am? I'll tell you one more story and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, When I was growing up, I desperately wanted to be white. Uh, It didn't happen until about the fourth grade. Before that, I was in Montessori school, which was very similar to this church. It was like the Kumbaya United Nations of Alexandria, Louisiana. (laughs) So at that point, I had no idea that I was different or a minority in any way. Uh, when I got to Cabrini, which is a Catholic school, I was the only Indian in my class. And there was only one other minority student, an African-American boy named Milton Polk. And I remember that our class always tried to make us go together, which is what, how we describe dating, um, because obviously melanin belonged to melanin. You know? we, like, we should naturally just we should be the ones to be together. So I had a crush on Sambrocato, and apparently the idea of us... The idea of us as a couple was so foreign to him that when my fifth grade teacher, Patty Eskew, who lives in Treeport now, uh, suggested the idea to the class of us together because she knew I liked him, the idea was so foreign to him that he actually scooted his chair away from me while the whole class just kind of laughed. I know it's awful, but I have audio, it's okay. (laughs) It's fine, it's fine. So, by sixth grade, I was running into the girls' bathroom crying because I wasn't white. Uh, this was devastating to me. I rebelled against the notion of being Indian. I was embarrassed of my parents' accents. I used to say uh, the word comfortable, comfort table, because that's how my mom says it, and everybody ridiculed me. But, but what was happening? People were identifying something that was different and using that separation to widen the chism, uh, the chasm. I wanted to go to high school football games and homecomings. I did not want to stay at home and study to get that extra point on the ACT. I remember thinking that Rotel dip was the most exotic food ever. (laughs) Because I grew up eating Indian food. And I still think Rotel dip is just amazing. (laughs) But all that misery came from what? Different forms of separation and isolation. And because I felt isolated socially, I thrust blame and separation between me and my parents and between me and my culture. So it wasn't until I grew up and gained a little perspective and some knowledge that I realized what a gift my brownness is and what a treasure my parents are. Um, All of a sudden, it's like I was beaming with pride that my grandparents, flesh and blood that I had met as a child, fought for the independence of their country. And that's a concept that's so far removed from us because 1776 was forever ago. But for me, I had touched the hands of my grandmother, who's now deceased. And those same hands helped to liberate a country. What? That's crazy. That's mind-blowing. It really is. So I started to embrace my culture. I embraced meditation. I embraced my parents. Um, because of Hinduism, because of my mother... Because of this meditation is how I discovered the connectedness. So what I had rebelled against my entire life was actually the portal I needed to walk through to come back to myself. I still struggle, as do we all, but in those rare moments where I'm able to fully grasp that I'm just a steward of the gifts that I've been given, that I am my soul, which is joy, which is what you are. When that truth clicks into, into place, anxiety is impossible. How can we feel rejection or shame when we realize that we're the same? That rhymed, I didn't mean for it to you. that's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, the, the truth is that I belong to you, and you belong to me. So how can judgment and opinion matter when we realize that? Those opinions are not the truth. They're based in a false perception of separation. It's a wonderful thing to realize when you realize that the way you're living has not been accurate. So all the things that you're suffering have been unnecessary. So whether it's the revolutionary blood that runs in my veins, or the meditation, or the Hinduism, nothing about activism feels like an accident. When I marched alongside Barbara and several of you at the Women's March, and men and children, I didn't even feel at that moment like I was in my body. I felt so connected to truth in that moment that I just everything just kind of transpired exactly as it should. It wasn't me, it was just the world happening as it should. There was no anxiety. That's what's real. That's what's there all the time, if only we can remember to tap into it. It's very exciting. So, when we grasp it and we can hold on, then nothing can get in the way. Not a politician, not actions based in ignorance, not even a seven minute existential crisis. Thank you for having me. God bless you.